This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. As you know, helping victims of crime tell their stories is my passion. But even I need a break from crime sometimes, so when I feel like I need a mental health pause, my go-to is the mobile puzzle game Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a puzzle game that you can play right on your phone, and it's super cool because you can go through all these levels solving challenging puzzles that actually engage your brain. But it's casual, and anyone can play it. It's really fun. So I just made it to level 102, and I've been playing for a couple weeks now. I'm totally hooked. The great thing about this is it doesn't take up too much of your time, but it's awesome in the way that it fills up those moments where you wish you had something to do aside from scrolling through social media over and over again. You also don't need an internet connection to play it, so that makes it fun and easy. The game is visually stimulating with its bright colors and cute little bugs, and Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy of the Geek Out Freak Out Podcast. Catch me and my co-host Matt as we review your week in geek and pop culture. Do you love bad movies? Great. Then you're going to love our Cringe Watch episodes, where we cover notoriously bad movies and occasionally revisit our favorite sci-fi and action films. The Geek Out Freak Out Podcast is available on Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. And if you're a fan of video games, make sure to check us out at twitch.tv slash gaming. Or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GoFoPodcasts. We now return you to your regularly scheduled true crime podcast. The Oracle Network. Look deeper. This is True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico in the American Desert Southwest. Hello, everybody. It's me, Eric Carter-Landin, host of True Consequences. Happy to be here again for another Get Vocal stream. Uh, I am getting more used to this. I'm not super excited about being on camera, but I am getting used to it, so that's good. A couple of announcements before we get into the stream today. So I'm starting a new podcast. It is launching on Father's Day, June 21st. It's called Dos Spookenos. It's all about paranormal and aliens and weird-ass shit in New Mexico. And it's going to be co-ghosted with my friend Alex, who has been on several episodes of True Consequences. Excited to start that. And the first case is going to be a huge one. And I'm really, really, really pumped. It'll be also be the last episode of season two of True Consequences. So it'll be on both shows. And I think it's a nice way to introduce a new show. So this is going to be a different stream for me today. Uh, it's going to be challenging, I think. I have... A bunch of questions that people have sent in in advance and i want to thank them for that so for those of you watching that aren't familiar i'm going to give a little bit of background about my story and about my brother's story when i was six years old my brother he passed away he died it took us a while to figure out what happened but eventually it became clear that my stepdad was responsible for his death and this happened 33 years ago so you can do the math and figure out how old I am. But 
it's something that has always haunted me um, my entire life. I've also felt very powerless about the entire situation because there was never any justice for my brother. The person responsible was never charged. Uh, they never went to prison, never went to court. And there's always been this lingering cloud over my family and over me about the whole situation. And so the show that I started, True Consequences, was really born out of a way to honor Jacob, my brother, and to honor his life and to honor uh, the fact that he didn't get a voice. He wasn't able to speak up for himself, the fact that he doesn't have justice. And so the biggest mission, if I had a mission with this show, is really to provide a voice for those people in my state who are in this situation. Family members who have lost a loved one to violence and have yet to receive justice. And unfortunately, it happens a lot more than it should here. So I'm trying to change the conversation. I'm trying to have a conversation, first of all, and I'm trying to talk about what we can do to fix this. My brother's case is pretty intense. I have to give a, a trigger warning. It does involve child abuse. It involves a bunch of other horrible things, and some of that isn't okay for people to listen to, and that's okay. I'm not mad about that. Uh, I would just say that if, if you're that person, you know, do some self-care and, and don't listen to this. Uh, but for those of you that can handle it, I think it's an important story to tell. Fern from Evidence of a Crime is here in the live stream uh, chatting here. And I, I really want to say thank you, Fern, for being the first podcast besides myself to share Jacob's story. Um, the way you did it was so beautiful and respectful. And I'm so grateful and I'm so proud of that episode. I just, I can't thank you enough. It means so much to me what you did. So uh, there's going to be some more episodes coming out from other people. I'm very excited about that. There might even be a get vocal stream with somebody uh, to talk about the case. That's not this stream. It'll be another one. So we're starting to see some traction and starting to get some media out there. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. I'm hoping that we can get somewhere. I don't know what, where that is. I don't know when we'll get there. I can't continue to be powerless in this situation. I have to do something. So that's where I'm at. Thank you guys. And hi, Lisa. I see you. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Hopefully your mom's with you. <laughs> Tell mom I said hi. So Lisa's one of my, I'm going to say oldest friends because you're old. Um, <laughs> I've known Lisa for a very long time. She's been very supportive of me from the beginning. She was there when I started talking about this and she's still there as I continue talking about it and not stopping talking about the com about the podcast. So thank you, Lisa. And thank you to your mom for being so supportive of True Consequences. So the people that are here right now have all asked questions. But if you guys have other questions while you're here, if you think about them, you can either jump on, grab a spot, or you can ask a question in the chat. Okay, so let's start with the questions. And I didn't list who uh, gave questions, but I want to shout out to, to Mel, to CJ, to Lisa, to Fern, to Ariel, uh, to my friend Edna, to my friend Emma. I mean, just so many people have asked questions and I am very grateful. Some of these are going to be very hard for me to answer. Uh, I'm going to give it my best shot. So the first question is, how old were you when this happened? I gave myself a softball. Uh, I was six. I was six years old when this happened. Uh, I do remember 
all of it. I remember a lot actually from that time period. I remember my mom leaving my dad. I remember pretty much all of that. It's, it's kind of crazy. I remember going to California with my dad. Um, but yeah, I was very young. I was still in kindergarten. Somebody asked me, Oh, this is Edna asked me to define justice. I just want to say that I hate this question so much because it's such a hard question to answer. Uh, justice for me, I think means that the person responsible for killing my brother doesn't get to live his life without any consequences. So whatever that looks like, um, I know that I probably wouldn't be happy with any sentence that was given to him. If you hear somebody yelling, I'm sorry, my son's playing Xbox in the other room there. So hopefully my mic's not picking that up. But uh, justice for me is is hard to define. It's hard to wrap my mind around where I am and where my mom is right now in this situation in the sense that we haven't even had a day in court. So I'd like to start with saying the beginning of justice for me is having that day in court and then um, some sort of accountability. I try not to be so cynical, but it's really hard in this situation because of all that my family's gone through to not be cynical about the justice system in this state. Um, somebody asked, how many times did the suspect change his story that you know of? Um, so what's documented is at least four changes of story. Um, I think there was more and I think there continued to be more afterwards, but what the police documented were four. Uh, the first story was that Jacob was being fussy, that it was almost time for his, him to go to bed. And that this person decided to place my nine month old brother on the couch so that he could go take care of some cassettes that he was dubbing. And as he did that, Jacob fell off the couch. Then he was unresponsive. The second story or another story was that Jacob, he was lying on his back. The suspect was, and Jacob was kind of lying across his neck or something. And then Jacob started choking and he got up really fast and he hit his head um, on the suspect's chin. Uh, there's another situation story that involves Jacob choking and then the suspect picked him up and his head might have hit the arm of the sofa or the chair. There might have been another one. I don't remember it, but those were the, the three main ones. Uh, the, the one that I heard the most was throughout my life <clears throat> or throughout my time with this person was that he had fallen off the couch, hit his head on the coffee table, and then started to choke on his own vomit. I don't know about you guys, but if somebody... Oh, yes, that's right, Fern. The fourth was him throwing Jacob in the air and then not being able to catch him. Yeah, I think you're right about that, Fern. I don't know super suspicious to me if your story changes that much and that often and some of these stories were within the same week or even the same like couple of days so it wasn't even like three months passed and then his story was this and his story was that it was literally through the process of the initial investigation his story changed multiple times what he told the doctor versus what he told the state police versus whatever 
it was a different story every time. For me, that's very suspicious. Can you outline, okay, so this is similar. Can you outline your stepfather's story as to what happened and how the evidence counteracts what was claimed? So one of the things, hello, Kelly, thanks for joining. Um, one of the things that, I mean, there, there's just no way, according to the autopsy, according to the, um, the doctor who worked on Jacob, there's no way that the, the stories that he gave would have caused the injuries that Jacob had. It's just not possible. The things that, that this person described happening would have been more uh, sharp, sharp force trauma. And Jacob suffered from blunt force trauma to the head. So it's not possible that his stories would result in the injuries that Jacob had. The other thing is he failed a polygraph. Uh, he failed two questions. You know, basically, I think they asked Fern, help me remember, because I'm terrible right now. Um, I think they asked him if he if he intentionally hurt Jacob or if he hurt Jacob. I'm blanking on what those questions were. But basically, he failed the polygraph. The autopsy contradicts everything he said. There's just no way that his stories could have done what happened to Jacob. Did you intentionally hit him was the first question. Thank you, Fern. And he said no. And then... They asked him if he hit him before he went limp, and he said no. Uh, he failed both of those questions. What happened between 1992, when he was arrested, and 2005, when the cold case review was filed? Ooh, yeah. So, <laughs> 1992, if you listen to the episode about Jacob, the first one, and if you listen to Fern's episode today, was right after he was trying to groom my cousin, my 13 year old cousin for molestation for child abuse. And my mom found out about it and left him. And that's when she filed and went to the police department filed, you know, for an annulment, she got a protective order. And in that process, they started looking into the case again. And this is uh, five years later, five years after Jacob died. So from that point, he was arrested. He spent one night in jail and he was released. And then he started to stalk my mom and I, and he would follow us all around town. He would come to my bedroom at night and knock on my window and say, I'm going to fucking kill you. I used to sleep under my bed because I was so scared. We were in complete terror and it was really a rough time in my life. So from that point, um, we had kind of felt like maybe there wasn't going to be anything that happened because the DA accused my mom of changing her story. And he said, he's not going to prosecute. And, uh, my mom didn't change her story. We can get into that in a little bit, but between 92 and 2005, we'd kind of given up hope. And then in 2005, my mom, because there was a lot of things that were happening, um, in the state with regards to child abuse legislation and all this other stuff. And she was getting involved in that kind of lobbying. My mom decided to reach out to a cold case investigator at the state police and ask them to re-examine the case. And this cold case investigator did. He picked up the case. He started re-examining it. Um, I read, I think on part two of Jacob's story or part three of Jacob's story, uh, 
on my show, I read from his synopsis. And I'll just summarize it for you. But he basically said uh, that there's no way that Jacob's death was a result of the four stories that this person told. It happened one way. And it's very clear what that was. Whether it was negligently caused or intentionally caused, this person was responsible. And he said that he felt there was sufficient evidence and sufficient cause to pursue a conviction against him. So he reached out to the DA and he said, Hey, I looked at this case. It's very clear to me. This guy did it. Would you press charges against him? DA said, no, he would not press charges because the statute of limitations would prevent him from doing so. Um, and because there was not enough evidence and that was basically it. So the DA is lying. I, I think so, Mel, I do. I, I really feel that was a huge shock because here on one hand, we have this cold case investigator from the state police saying, no, this is obvious to me based on the evidence, based on everything that this guy is responsible. And then the DA is like, no, Sorry. And I also don't understand and I haven't been able to get clarity. I'm waiting to have another conversation with my friend Edna about the statute of limitations thing, because it's my understanding that there's no statute of limitations of murder. Now, I know that the state will not charge him with first degree murder, mostly because the burden of proof on that specific charge is so high that you have to not only prove that he planned it out and thought about it, but you also have to prove that he knew about the consequences of that decision and weighed them in his mind. And then with that weighing of consequences decided, no, I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And as you can imagine, that's pretty much impossible to prove uh, somebody's state of mind in that situation. So uh, even if it's child abuse resulting in death, even if it's child abuse resulting in death negligently charged or negligently caused, I don't know that there's a statute of limitations on that. I could be wrong. If there's any attorneys in New Mexico listening, please come and educate me because I can't see how there can be a statute of limitations on murdering a nine-month-old baby, negligent or not. That's that. How do you find the strength to fight when reliving the grief and trauma? It must be so exhausting. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. You know, I think... Um, I think that fighting is healing for me. Because for me, I think it's almost more exhausting to do nothing. And just feel that dread. I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody. But I don't really feel like I have a choice other than to fight. There's really, you know, there's really nothing else. There's no other option in my mind. Um, reliving, reliving everything is, is hard. But I will tell you that interviewing my mom was probably one of the most cathartic experiences of my life. Mostly because I spent my entire life not being able to talk about this. Um, and in my family's homes, we weren't allowed to mention Jacob's name. So 
to be able to have an open and honest conversation with my mom about everything was very healing. Um, so reliving it really isn't the problem for me. I think the most exhausting part of this is, is the inaction, what's not happening. That's what wears me out. That's what makes me tired. But that's also what pushes me to keep fighting. Um, okay, this is from my friend Lisa. You don't mention your father much. What have been his reactions over the years? Did, <laughs> did he treat you any different after Jacob's death? I'm laughing at Fern's comment. You guys, I'm not laughing at Lisa's question. Did he treat you any different after Jacob's death? And was he at all supportive? My dad. Um, <laughs> th there's a joke in my family. It's kind of a morbid joke, but, um, for father's day, I always get my mom something because she was, she was both of those people in my life. Jacob's death affected my dad in ways that I can only speculate about, but I can tell you that after Jacob died, um, my dad made a promise to me that he was going to see me. He was going to call me for my birthday. He was going to buy me a bike. He was going to take me to Disneyland, all this stuff, you know, after Jacob's funeral. And so I remember my birthday waiting for my dad to call or write or anything. And that was probably the last time I saw my dad until I was about 15. So I never heard from him. Uh, I didn't talk to him. He just disappeared. And so uh, he was not, not supportive, Lisa, at all. Uh, he was not really a part of my life at all, which is why I don't really talk about him um, because there's not much to say. He left. Um, somebody asked if I can forgive my mom. You know, I don't, I don't hold any resentment or animosity towards my mom at all. Um, I forgave her a long time ago. I love, I love my mom. I, I know that she was in a, an impossible situation and she had to make impossible choices and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So yeah, I forgave her a long time ago. There's nothing to forgive. She was a victim in this situation just like my brother and just like me and, and everybody else who's victimized by this horrible monster. Can you forgive yourself? <laughs> Thanks, Edna. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I can. Maybe one day. Um, okay. How do you find the strength to fight when rel reliving grief and trauma? I kind of talked about that already. Forgive yourself for what? Uh, for what? There's a lot of guilt, Fern, about being blamed. There's a lot of guilt about not being there when Jacob needed me. Yeah. Yeah. So, maybe. Uh, has your mom listened to the episode with Edna and what was her reaction? Yeah, she listened to most of it. Um, she listened to it unedited. And I think she listened to both episodes with Edna, actually. And the first one, um, 
I think was a little bit more positive and hopeful. And then the second one was a little bit deflating. And I think we both kind of went through that together. And her reaction at first was cool. Let's, you know, let's take care of this. Let's press charges, whatever we need to do. And then after the second part with Edna, um, we both agreed that we were going to start dealing with the attorney general right away. So I guess her, her, her response was similar to mine, a little bit of a roller coaster up and down. Have you contacted the attorney general's office yet? Uh, and if so, any updates? So good question. Uh, I have not written a letter to the attorney general's office yet, but I have started a petition to ask the attorney general to look into the case. And right now, I think there's about 360 some odd signatures. If you want to sign it, I would really appreciate it if you did. And I would appreciate it if you would share it as well. You can find it on all of my social. It's everywhere. Excuse me. So my idea was that I would thank you, Fern. She posted the petition in the comments there. So if you haven't signed it, please do so. Please share it. Um, it's on change.org. And, and I want to go to the attorney general with as much support behind us as possible. So the petition actually came from a conversation I had with my friend Fern from Evidence of a Crime. Um, she wanted to have some kind of action for people to take about uh, about this case. So I created the petition. Uh, so my plan is once I get, I don't know, a thousand signatures or, or more to write the letter to the attorney general and attach the petition to it to show all the support that's behind us. Um, and hopefully, hopefully he'll he'll listen and hopefully he'll he'll do something about it. It's really going to be up to him at this point because the DA has completely washed his hands of all of it. Uh, he's unwilling and and just stubbornly unwilling to do anything about it. There's no statute of limitations for first degree murder. Six years for second degree based on a quick Google. Yeah, um, I still think it's going to be child abuse resulting in death, Mel, just because of the way they they charge things here in New Mexico. And I'm not sure in 87 what the statute of limitations was for that. So I don't know. CJ, when you asked why, were you talking about why the DAs washed his hands of it? Is that the why you're asking? Um, that's a very good question. I don't know. I don't know why the DA is refusing to do anything. Um, the first DA that was there when my mom was starting to pursue this accused her of changing her story. And that part was very frustrating for both of us because my mom's story didn't change. If you read the case file, the story at the beginning was the police asked my mom if she felt this guy was, was had the potential to do this to Jacob. And she said, I don't think so. Then we fast forward five years later after she married him and was nearly strangled to death and was beat on a daily basis. And he starts grooming my cousin for his own creepy sexual fantasies. Now her story is yes, absolutely a hundred percent. He's capable of doing this because he's proven it. Before that, 
prior to Jacob's death, he was the nicest guy. I mean, he was like so charming and so friendly and so nice and so like anybody would have liked him. So of course she didn't think it was possible that he could do that. She had the same story days after two furnace saying she told them about her suspicions and yeah. Oh, so that was the other thing is my brother was so frightened of, of my stepdad. Um, but she didn't change her story. Her story was number one. I don't think he, he's capable of it. Five years later, a hundred percent. He's capable of it. Yeah. CJ Scott Peterson was also very charming. Yeah. And so he, he was a, typical narcissistic abusive personality he love bombed us we had all kinds of great fun he was a great guy to be around and then the switch flipped and he was a completely different person he was a monster um lisa did you ever take the aces test and if so so can you share your experience and results okay so uh, Edna is the one that told me about ACEs. And if you haven't heard of it, uh, you should go take it. It's a test that talks about childhood trauma. And there's 10 questions. It takes about five minutes. They're yes or no questions. It's very easy to take. Um, so I scored, the higher you score, the more traumatic your childhood was and the more likely you are to suffer adverse experiences as an adult. And I got an eight out of 10. Um, and anything between seven to 10 is considered very high. Uh, the experience was not really enlightening for me, I guess. I mean, I kind of figured that that was going to be the case. I figured that I would score very high considering everything that I went through. But um, it was just interesting to see where I was on that scale. So yeah, eight out of 10. And if you guys have other questions, you know, you can grab a spot, you can ask questions, um, you can ask more questions in the chat as well. Has How has sharing your story changed your life? Or how have you changed was another version of that. Sharing my story really opened me up in a way that I was not expecting. I might get emotional, guys. I'm sorry. Um, Fern will tell you I cried like five times when we were she was interviewing me. Um, and Lisa can tell you that I cry like all the time. So um I spent a lot of my life completely closed off to everybody because I was convinced that nobody would want to be my friend if they knew what happened to me. So I didn't share that side of my life with anybody um, unless it was very close to them already. And I felt like they didn't have a chance of getting away. <laughs> um, so this has opened me up in a way that I wasn't expecting. It softened me a lot. Uh, it's helped me to deal with a lot of this pain that's been there forever and to face it it's given me a strength that i didn't know i had and it's given me a desire to fight for justice not just for my family but for everybody that needs it um and i'm gonna keep going so it has dramatically changed my life uh, this is the most horrible thing that's ever happened to me but it's also the most amazing thing because i've been able to grow and learn and continue to improve who I am. And I think the best part is that my son never has to live in a world like the world I had to live in. He never has to face any of the stuff 
that I had to deal with. And that is the best gift that I can give him. Whew. You guys ask tough questions. I was worried I was going to not have enough. I was not going to have enough questions for the time, but I'm not even on the second page yet. Um, okay. Here's another question. Is there anything the person responsible for Jacob's death could say to give you and your family peace? Um, take me to jail. Yeah, that, that would probably do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know that there's anything else that he could say that would make a difference. He, I don't really care what he has to say. So if he's watching, confess, turn yourself in. That would give me peace. Pretty sure he doesn't give a shit about my peace. So, um, what do you feel has been the biggest setback or issue as to why charges haven't been pursued? That is a loaded question. What I feel, <laughs> I don't know if what I feel is, is real. I don't know if what I feel is the right answer, but what I feel is that uh, this person had a lot of friends in the police and in the DA's office. I think that that held up a lot of what happened. The fact that my mom called the cops on him multiple times, multiple times, he was never arrested. Um, they never believed her. The fact that he has no record is a red flag to me because I was talking to Fern about it. Somebody like that doesn't just change who they are. Laura said his, it seems like his own family seemed to know, right? Yeah. Um, his, his own family was aware of, of his nature. Um, that's correct, Laura. So he has no record. Um, for somebody like that to do what he's done to my family, I guarantee you he did it to other people over the last 33 years. There's no way that he just stopped. So that tells me that there's something else happening um, because there's no way that he he could have gone unnoticed this long unless there's somebody helping him out or more than one person helping him out. So, and then the other piece is just incompetence followed by really crappy laws that we have here. This state does a horrible job of taking care of kids who are abused. And you see it over and over and over again. And even if you're not from here, you probably heard about Victoria Martins. And you probably heard about Omari Varela, and you probably heard about baby Brianna, and you've probably heard about all of these other cases, one after the other, after the other of kids being abused and murdered and little to nothing happens to the people that are responsible. And it drives me nuts. Are you aware of any ex-partners he may have had who you could speak to who could possibly help you build a case? Or is that not even an option? Um, I'm not aware of who he dated honestly. And my mom might be, I think it's worth looking into Fern. It's a good question. The investigators and the medical examiners both concluded this individual was responsible and Jacob was murdered. Correct. Do you have any insight or opinion as to why the DA's officers refused to press charges? Million dollar question. Um, I'm not going to, it's the same thing that I've said over and over again. So I'm going to leave that there. Um, there's no statute of limitations on murder. A simple Google search will show you this. What is your opinion on the fact that the DA is using a statute of limitations and lack of evidence to not get justice for your brother? I think it's a cop-out. I think that probably the DA's office has some mud on their face right now. 
and they don't like being called out for it. So um, give me the exact statute. If you're going to cite statute of limitations, then give me the statute. What is it? What's the statute? Why was that not listed in the letter? So true for every DA office in America. The truth doesn't matter. Exactly. Where's the proof? So if you're going to cite a statute of limitations issue, what's the statute? What is it? Tell me. I deserve to know. Um, lack of evidence. Sorry. Not correct. <laughs> Failed lie detector test. Confession. Medical examiner report. Everything is there. As well as eyewitness accounts. So um, I just think it's a cop-out. Honestly, I think it's a cop-out. It is Catherine. Hi, Catherine. It's who he knows. I think you're right, CJ. I think it's who he knows. Catherine is a patron. Hi, Catherine. It's good to see you. Um, if you have any questions, you can grab a spot or you can type it in the chat. Feel free. Uh, I'm happy to answer any of your questions real time as well. Speedy trial issue. Fern brought up a speedy trial issue. Yeah, so the, that was the other thing that the DA cited was the speedy trial issue. And I'm pretty sure that that doesn't apply because he was not charged. Um, speedy trial, once you're charged, you're guaranteed a speedy trial in New Mexico. He wasn't charged. So that's not an issue either. It just seems like they don't want to charge him. They don't want to pursue it. And the other thing I learned that was very frustrating for me was the fact that prosecutors get to decide what cases they try. That for me, especially with kids, like if a child abuse case comes across your desk and you're a prosecutor, there should be no question whether you should charge it or not. Even if you can't win and that like whole politi politicization, politicization, can't say the word, of, of the legal justice system is disgusting to me because it's about what you win that's what matters for prosecutors, because if they want to get ahead, if they want to move up in the ranks, then they have to win cases. And so if they don't feel like they can win a case because it's too hard or too complicated or something they don't want to deal with, they can just say, I'm not going to charge it. It just sits on their desk and it goes away over time. And that's wrong, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, any questions from the audience? Check social media. Do, do, do. I have more questions here. I just want to make sure I'm not missing anybody. Okay. Oh, here we go. There's a bunch of people talking on Facebook. Why is New Mexico's justice system so far behind and what changes would you like to see? Um, I don't know why the justice system is so far behind. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I think there's a lot of things working against us in this situation, like the fact that we're very defendant friendly in New Mexico. I think that needs to change. Um, so defendant rights are almost prioritized over victims' rights, and and that's wrong. So I think the first step would be to to change that, change that narrative. The second thing would be to change the narrative of allowing prosecutors to try cases in their head. That needs to go away especially as it pertains to children. Stop it. That should not be an option for prosecutors. I think there should be legislation passed that says if there is a child who's being abused, you are compelled to try that case. 100%. 
Um, have I approached the governor? Not yet. Laura, one big thing I'm most angry with about this case is they say lack of evidence, but the most relied upon evidence is forensics and scientific. The pathologist negates his story 100%. The hand of someone much bigger than Jacob, has this ever been argued and discussed with detectives? The detectives are on our side, Laura. That's the most frustrating part, is that cold case investigator is on our side. He agrees with us. It's the DA. The DA is the problem. So if the DA is not on board, then there's nothing we can do, which is why I'm going to the attorney general. That, that's my only other option right now. And then maybe the governor, CJ, to your point. All right, let me see what other questions I have. It's not behind, it's corrupt. Yep, I agree with you, Anne-Marie. Hardly ever presses charges. DA is lazy and passes the buck. Someone's saying that their son's murderer was never charged either. The prosecutor said they can't win, so no thanks. Not going to charge it. Victims have no rights. Hug a thug laws. So this is just people on Facebook. Uh, and victim advocates are a joke. Yeah, it's it's horrible. It's horrible the way that victims are treated in this state. In fact, my mom was treated with more scrutiny than this suspect, which is baffling to me. People have been convicted on much less. I agree. I agree. Okay. Um, given the brutality of injuries, what was the explanation investigators gave to conclude it was an accident? They didn't. They didn't conclude it was an accident. Nothing concluded that it was an accident. Uh, that was just the DA believing my stepdad. Considering how violent and dangerous your stepfather is alleged and proven to be, why was your mom's change of story not taken with more gravity? I, I, again, I don't think she changed her story. I think that going from, I don't think he's capable of this to he's proven himself capable of this. Okay. I guess we can call that a change of story, but it's also a change of circumstance, right? Um, but why don't they take any victim seriously is the bigger question. I think, um, why do they believe the suspect as opposed to the victim? That's the problem. I'm going to try to get to all of these before time runs out. Um, taken into account that a witness statement had changed and given all other evidence, how did the DA determine that there wasn't enough to prosecute? I've already kind of answered that. So I'm going to move forward. Jacob was given an autopsy, but not photographed on scene. How did the police explain this? As I understand, any suspicious death is to be treated as a homicide until proven otherwise. So um, I think that the problem was that at first it didn't look like a suspicious death and he wasn't dead right away. He, uh, went unconscious. And so they took him to the hospital and then they airlifted him from Socorro to Albuquerque. And there was no scene investigation because at that time it really wasn't seen as a potential crime scene. And then afterwards, I don't know why they didn't go back. And I don't know if they did or not. I didn't see any photos of the scene. So I don't know if there are any that exist. So to answer your question, I don't have an answer. With the petition that is now going around, once the signature requirements are met, what are your hopes for the attorney's gen attorney general's office? Um, my hope is that the attorney general opens the case and looks into the corruption in Socorro County, whether it's the police or the DA, but also that they charge this person and hold him accountable for what he's done because he should not be able to live freely after killing somebody. It's just absurd. It's completely absurd. He confessed. Like, I don't know what else they need from him. What else do they need? They had a confession. How are they even to discard documents from a case that is still open? 
That's what makes me so mad. So much of the case detective said he couldn't find because the documents were lost or discarded, but it wasn't even closed at that point. Yeah. So the cold case investigator said that there were a lot of things missing, including recordings of conversations, interviews, all of those things are gone. Nobody knows where they are. So if you weren't suspicious before about a cover up, maybe you should be now. It's insane. No one fights with the victim. I agree with you, Anne-Marie. I'm trying to keep a track on Facebook. It's really hard. If you guys come to Get Vocal, you can participate. Um, if you don't get the results or answers you would like from the Attorney General, what do you feel you can do to change the injustice done to Jacob? Well, I can't change what happened to Jacob, but I can fight to change the laws in this state. So if the Attorney General refuses to do anything about this, then I will work with every fiber of my being to advocate for law changes, for legislation changes that are meaningful, that are victim focused, that ensure that child abuse cases get tried no matter what. Um, if I can't get justice for my brother, then I will make sure that no other family in this state goes through what my family went through. And that's a promise for me. As long as I'm alive, I will fight for that. And that's, that's all I can do. That's all I can do because there's nothing else to you from that point. Hopefully that was a good answer for whoever asked that question. What are the next steps towards bringing justice for your brother? Um, the attorney general, hopefully he'll do that. Um, if not, you know, maybe I will go to the governor, CJ. We'll see. If you could talk to Jacob today, what would you want him to know? Uh, sorry, guys. Oh, that's a tough question. I would want him to know that I love him and I miss him and that I'm never going to give up for him ever. Uh, I'm sorry. I hate crying on video. Do you think a change in government would help? I don't know. I, I think a change in laws first, you know, thank you, Sarah. Uh, that was a tough question to answer. I think a change in laws is, is where it needs to start. And then a, a change in, in how we treat victims in this state. It's completely backwards. How does your mom feel about her story being told so publicly? I think that my mom is, I think she has mixed feelings about it. Um, she supports this process 100%. I'll say that she does. Um, she supports me and she supports the fight that I'm I'm endeavoring on. Um, but it's hard. It's hard for all of us to be so public about this because it is such a personal, private thing that happened to us. But I think my mom's with me in, in the thought that if we don't talk about it, if victims don't talk about what happened to them, then people won't know what's going on. Because if I don't tell my story, then nobody else knows what happened to Jacob. Because nobody's going to tell that story for me unless I do it first. So my mom, I believe, is there with me in that thought that like we have to do this, even if it's uncomfortable for us, even if it's risky, even if it causes problems, whatever, like we have to do that. We have to fight because if we're not going to fight for ourselves, then nobody's going to fight for us. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. 
It's not the governor, it's the DA and the cops. Yeah, I think it's a mix of everybody. Everybody's a mess in New Mexico. A um, couple more questions and then we'll wrap it up. So from the time your brother was murdered to now, do you feel the laws have changed in small towns even to protect children more? No, I don't. I don't feel they've changed uh, enough. They probably have changed in ways, but it's not enough. It's not enough. You can't, we're letting we're letting our children down in this state. We continue to let our children down in this state over and over and over and over. Um, and what little effort has been made is not enough. There needs to be more. And as long as people can get away with murder, and as long as people can get away with child abuse, I'll continue to say that it's not enough. Okay, last written question, and then if anybody else has questions, I'll answer those before we wrap up. Through all of this with your brother, have you had any negative feedback from anywhere? <laughs> um, not yet, but I'm sure it's coming. Um, there was one negative comment on uh, YouTube on one of the news stories that came out, and this person accused me of trying to get rich off of my, he said, stupid dead brother, um, which I stopped reading comments after that. But Honestly, like, I'm not going to defend that, but I, I haven't made any money on this at all. I'm barely breaking even, basically, at this point. Um, but it's not about money for me. It's about ensuring that people who don't have a voice get their ability to share their story. And I've created a platform for people that didn't exist in this state before to be able to tell their story. And, um, and I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of that. Are you and your mother safe? <laughs> uh, maybe if this becomes even bigger. Oh, thank you, Lokesh. That's really sweet. If this becomes even bigger, are you guys scared of blowback from the man in question? Um, I don't think we're afraid, Laura. I mean, what can he do? that's worse than what he's already done. I don't know. I have to be strong. I have to be brave. I have to fight. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. Okay. Any other questions? He's a coward that only likes to hurt people who can't defend themselves. Well said. God, I hope you heard that. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jackie Jean. That's really sweet. Okay, guys. One minute left. Thank you, Patty, for joining. Thank you, Kat. Thank you, everybody who was here. Uh, this is the biggest turnout I've had on Get Vogel. I'm so happy that you guys hung out with me and dealt with me crying. I know it was probably not comfortable for you. It definitely wasn't comfortable for me. Um, but go follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, catch up on all the episodes of True Consequences. And look out for those Spookenos. It's coming out soon. Mel, thank you so much. That's really sweet. Tanya, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for everyone who asked questions. I love you all. You're amazing. I couldn't have done this without all of you. Thanks again for listening to True Consequences. Follow us on social media. On Instagram and Facebook at True Consequences Pod. And on Twitter at True Cons Pod. True Consequences is hosted, written, and produced by me, your host, Eric Carter-Landine. Thanks for listening and stay safe, New Mexico.